This episode is sponsored by the Hohoba Company. I firmly believe that massage therapists should only be using the highest quality products because our clients deserve it and our own bodies deserve it. I've been using Hohoba for years. Here's why Hohoba is non allergenic. I can use it on any client and every client without fear of an allergic reaction. Jojoba is non-comedogenic, which means it won't clog pores. So if you have a client that's prone to acne or breakouts, Jojoba is a great choice for them. It also won't go rancid. It doesn't contain triglycerides like many products, so it won't go bad. This makes Jojoba a great carrier for essential oils too. And finally, Jojoba won't stain your 100% cotton sheets, so your linens will look better for longer. And since Jojoba won't go rancid, They'll always smell fresh and clean. For more information and to get some jojoba, go to massagebusinessblueprint.com slash jojoba. That's massagebusinessblueprint.com slash J-O-J-O-B-A. Hey everyone, welcome to the Massage Business Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss the business side of massage therapy. I'm Michael Reynolds. And I'm Alyssa Haynes. And we are your hosts today. Welcome to today's expert interview episode. Um, I have brought my own expert to the table today, trying to contribute to our podcast a little bit here for the expert interview series. And my friend Ryan Parshall is here. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Michael, Alyssa, glad to be here. Glad to have you. We are so excited you're here. So um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask Alyssa how the weather was in New England because I know it's cold and snowy and wintry. So are you buried under ice and snow? Is it you know, right. sub-zero temperatures? Let me just say this, that, and I will not go on. I got myself out of bed at the crack of 6 a.m. to get prepared and get in my car and go to my very first networking meeting, and it's like 25 degrees out. Oh, right that's now. right. Today was your big networking day. Today was my big, like, first time going to this networking meeting, and it was delightful. I will share that in another episode. But it was like the sun was not up, and it was 20-something degrees, and that is where I'm at today. So now I've cranked the heat up in my tiny little backyard office and I am under a quilt and I have my winter hat on for this recording. So beautiful. Um, it's, and I think that it just got up to like 62 degrees in my office out here. So um, that is my banter and my weather report from the Northeast. Beautiful. How is everyone else doing? <laughs> Well, my three-year-old was very excited to see a dusting of snow today. He was like, can I make snow angels? And I was like, well, maybe. So he's very excited about that. Aww. So, uh, so Ryan, you're in Kansas City, correct? Yeah. So it's been snowy, icy, cold. It's been freezing most of the last two weeks. It's been really different than we normally had. So I, I'm jealous of the warmer weather. Yeah. Well, there you go. So now you don't have to look at your weather app on your phone because we brought the weather to you. So you're welcome. And With I'm that, convinced we now live on Hoth. It is like never going to be warm anywhere again. Right, right. <laughs> so bring it, Michael. Let's do this. Well, Ryan, I am. I could not be happier. I could probably be a little happier, but not much. I could not be happier that you are on our show today uh, because I kind of uh, kind of fought for this episode topic a little bit because the backstory of this is. Uh, I think a couple episodes ago, maybe two or three episodes ago, Alyssa and I were talking about uh, closing down a massage practice, maybe moving it from one place to another, uh, either relocating or closing down a massage practice. And I kind of went on a tangent at the end about, well, what if you were to try to sell your massage practice? And so I kind of talked about all the possibilities and Alyssa kind of was kind of a wet blanket and said, Oh, it'll never happen. And it's you know, probably not going to, not going to be a, a feasible thing. And I'm like, well, I don't know. And so I kind of fought for it a little bit. So anyway, that's kind of the backstory about, 
why I wanted to bring this up. And I thought, what better person to bring on our podcast than, than you, Ryan, because you and I have known each other for many years. We've, we're both former marketing agency owners. Uh, how many? It's been like five, six years, I feel like, um, maybe more, that we've known each other. And you owned a marketing agency that you actually sold earlier this year, correct? Yes. Yep. And, and I actually recently sold my marketing agency as well. And so we've both gone through that experience recently. And uh, I know it was for you and, and for me definitely was a extreme learning experience. A lot of really rapid um, learning about this whole process. And I think you enjoyed the process so much that you now are a business broker working with Peterson Acquisitions, helping others buy and sell businesses. So that's really exciting. I've loved to kind of see how much passion you have for that type of work and the consulting and the service you bring to other business owners. And so it's really, really exciting to see. And I've learned a ton from you as well. And so that's kind of um, background on how you and I know each other. And of course, you have more to say about yourself, I'm sure, in terms of what you do. So what's the... Uh, the quick pitch about uh, about what you do right now as well. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I noticed a couple episodes ago you talked about introverts. I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'll talk and tell me to be quiet if I overdo it. Um, but uh, no, I, I, um, I've always been in business and, and have always loved entrepreneurship. Uh, I grew up in a family business in a uh, small town, uh, rural Missouri. It's a farming community. Um, called Odessa, Missouri. It's, it's, and my dad owned a, a grocery store there. And the grocery store business everybody thinks about as a product-based business. Um, they go into shop and, and buy all the product. It's actually a full-on service-based business. And so I grew up learning how to be better than everybody else at the service side of business from my dad, actually, who owned the grocery store. Um, also learned how to uh, work your tail off at the age of 14. So, um, yeah. And then, um, as I went to college, I got out. I, I was in design and, and then marketing and sales. Um, and so I, I've worked for small businesses for 14 years um, in working for others. But I was always kind of like the right hand man. Like I, I would start out as they hired hired me. The first job was a um, design, you know, graphic designer. And then the next job, I was a you know art director. Uh, I was a marketing coordinator for a while, but I was always hired into this one job and then quickly became like the right-hand man and not necessarily entitled, but but as the business owners saw what I was capable of uh, and my business side of me, they just always brought me in really close to them to be kind of like a, you know, a decision maker and somebody who could really change their company and for the better and grow their company. So I've always been a, a change agent, a growth agent, and I've always been able to make that connection with business owners. And that's really what led me to decide one day. It was actually in 2007, uh, the recession was, was full on and, um, I just, you know, told my wife, I said, you know, hey, we just had our second kid. How about I start a business? <laughs> and uh, in yeah, the middle of a recession. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I think she went cross-eyed and said, oh, my gosh, what what's going on? But I did it. Um, and I took the dive. And I just always said, hey, I'm going to grow up telling my kids that they should do what they're passionate about, what they want to do. And don't let anything hold you back. And what better way to to tell them that other than to show them. And so I did it just like you did, Michael. And I grew an agency for over 10 years and it's always what I wanted to do since college. It was my passion. It was my dream. And I found that 
as I hit that dream, you know, some people want to rule the world. Some people want to, you know, grow a business to over a million dollars, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I hit my goal probably year eight. And I found that after that, I had started to lose the flavor of what I was doing and really started looking at that time to start educating myself on how to best set my business up to sell. So I'll talk about that today. And, um, and, you know, basically, I now work for Peterson Acquisitions as a business broker, and I just started a side business, which is helping uh, businesses who aren't ready to sell or they find that they're not quite there yet. Um, I help them grow their business or get their financials straightened out and get them prepared to uh, have curb appeal so they can sell their business. Um, so I just started that side of the business um, and am loving that side of it as well. So that's where I'm at. Any other questions? Let me know. <laughs> So you're a parallel entrepreneur like Alyssa and I are as well. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I like to tell people I specialize in the entrepreneurial journey. Um, yeah. You know, you've heard that a lot about the journey, but uh, the journey is starting a company, growing a company, and selling a company. And I think a lot of us get into owning a business and the, selling the company is the last thing we th think about or we never think about it until we're already in the business for eight, nine, ten years. And then it's like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Oh, now what? You know, so so I really enjoyed that whole process. Great. So, again, this was prompted by and about the topic of this. Uh, the official title of this episode is "How to Make Your Massage Business More Sellable," and I put "more" in parentheses to kind of just you know uh, allude to the conversation that Alyssa and I had earlier about. A massage business is not like other businesses. It is often very difficult to sell, if not impossible to sell. Um, it is, it is very different than, for example, a marketing agency like, like we've sold or a, a software company or a manufacturing company or a local business or, um, you know, a, a flower shop. I mean, it's, it's a very unique type of business. And so, you know, Alyssa rightfully so was the wet blanket saying, Hey, this is not viable. Like, you know, selling a massage business is not something that people should really, you know, pursue. And, um, and maybe that's the conclusion we'll come to today, but I'd like to dig a little deeper and, find out what the ins and outs are of potentially selling a massage practice because I know people have done it and I would love your outside perspective from someone who has done lots of deals of all kinds kind of what the factors are in making your practice sellable and if that's even worth doing if it just simply makes your business stronger overall so first off why are massage businesses and similar types of wellness businesses so difficult to sell well I think it's I think it could be um, the lifestyle a little bit. Maybe it would be like um, back to what I said about you get into business. Um, a lot of people are doing it. I'm sure they were massage therapists. They, they got into it because they love the business. They love the industry and they love what they do. Um, but like me get going into it from a marketing and advertising aspect, I learned the business side of it along the way, but it wasn't, you know, for most of us, it didn't just go without, you know, hiccups or, or bumps. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the side of you that runs the business has to be there and it's, it is difficult. And, and a lot of people lean on a, a partner or, um, they'll bring somebody in to just handle that side of the business. But, but I think it's, it's a lifestyle. I mean, I, I love, um, I go to spas. I mean, I love, I love the lifestyle. It's a peaceful zen on that side of it. But then on the business side of it, I don't think too many business owners would tell you that it's Zen. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the stressful side of the business. So, so we're going to talk a little bit about 
that. But I think I think they're they're not hard to sell when they're when they're ready to sell. I think that's the challenge is is most people wait until the ship is sinking or you know until until they don't have a choice to that they have to get rid of it sell it close the doors or something before they do something about it when the signs were there along maybe that they should have and so we we can go in that a little bit further um in the show but i i really don't think they're different than a lot of businesses other than maybe the percentage of business owners in your industry um don't have the strong business sense to, and they don't want to focus, you know, 90% of their time on the business side of it, the books, the accounting. I mean, and I know, I know I didn't running an agency. It wasn't the fun part for me. And so I think your industry has that a lot, has that a lot of that in it. And, um, and it's just the nature of the lifestyle and the psychographic and the people that are, that are in, you know, running businesses in that industry. So uh, we're going to go into that a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I also think it's misconception about what it is that that people would want to buy. Um, I hear often, you know, especially in this industry, um, we have a great location. Who would not want that? And the answer to that would be basically anybody who is looking for profit first in a business. Um, location is is an indicator that you could have good profits, but if you're not being able to produce the good profits, then great location doesn't matter to them. Um, and I just I think I'll stop on that topic alone and see like, do you have any questions on that? Because I, I know that like location is the first thing people tell me they picked a great location, which by the way is the most expensive one, and <laughs> that is tough for your overhead and you know versus you know a back alley type of outfit. <laughs> Yeah, I think what you said about business inclination is is fair in many industries, including massage therapy. Um, and I guess the um, one of the things that I was really curious about, again, when the conversation was prompted about you know moving or closing down a massage practice, to me, selling a massage practice seems like a reasonable alternative to just shutting it down. Because if you're going to shut it down and get no money from it anyway, why not try to sell it for even a little bit and get some money? you're no worse off. You're basically doing the same thing, but instead you have a buyer who gives you a little bit of money. So to me, it seems like that's a path worth pursuing. So, but yeah, those challenges are very real. So, um, so I'm, I'm, we have a a list of things I know that you're probably going to share with us, but let's say you are in this position where maybe you're, you're going to move to a new city, a whole, you know, across the country and you obviously you can't take your clients with you and you, you're thinking of just shutting down your practice and relocating, or maybe you're just, on to doing other things now and you are in a position where you would like to try to sell your massage practice what what types of things can you do and how can you structure and run your business so that it becomes more likely to be sold or or more sellable right right well one of the things that um, that i had listed down uh, to talk about was you know the recurring customers and i think that's what a lot of business owners uh, you know tend to try to do is they want they want recurring customers they want a good customer base that makes your company more sellable um, yeah, however yeah, clients or patients and massage therapy yeah yeah and i think that i think that that basically it, it is an indicator it is a good thing that that can determine like what you do, do you sell it, do you close the doors, et cetera? Because if you have recurring, you know, patients or clients, you know, and they come in all the time and you, or you sell packages and, and you've got the, the, you know, 
that listed and you can prove that you're, you've got so much in, you know, outstanding revenue coming in, then, then I think that that's also something that helps determine what's next or what you're going to do. Um, and kind of going to the past question of the, you know, what makes a massage business difficult to sell? It isn't really that you have recurring customers or do not it because again, profits either there or it's not. And, and so the recurring business is only as good as the profits that those recurring customers are generating. Um, and, and I'll just finish up one more. Um, I'm going to tell a story on this one. A recent, uh, recent customer comes to me or, or prospective customer comes to me and they, they want to sell, sell their spa. And they wanted me to see their place. And so after quite a bit of conversation, um, you know, I went to, went to the location and again, they were having, they had a great location. Um, they had recurring customers, but their interior design, they'd spent, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars on the design of their location. It was beautiful. Um, but now he told me that, you know, they don't have profits in the company. And so he's got a loan to pay off for the interior and it looks great, but you know, and then, you know, he, he decides that, that he wants to sell it. Um, he has other business ventures and wow, that's really tough because I think going back to why, you know, what you think will sell a company, it isn't, it isn't those things first. It's those things third, fourth, or fifth. It's, it's, you know, definitely going to be back to the profits. So let's talk about that and going into the question you just asked about, like, what do you do? I, I agree with you, Michael. I think it's always in your best interest to take this time um, and, you know, investment of time and, and money that you've, that you've made and try to turn something out of that, like sell it. Or in a lot of cases, if there's not a lot of profit or no profit in it, then the best thing to do is try to find somebody who either works for you or in the industry who would take it over and then make payments to you for that business. Um, they may not even have five or 10 grand to give you, but, but they might be able to sign a, a, a personal loan agreement that they're going to pay back over time. Um, so that is a possibility um, if you don't have profits in your company. If, you, if you're showing profits, I 100% would tell you, let a business broker see it and, and consider listing it because if you think people don't buy spas, you're wrong. People buy spas, if they're profitable, they're just like any other business in that area. Um, and there's a few other things that make that even more sellable, which is things like, do you have somebody helping you run the business? Is there somebody you can rely on if you take two weeks of vacation to run the business? If not, start training somebody today. Because I, I think that's that determiner. You could have somebody come in, but they don't want to be there every second tied down but they have the money to invest and buy it and they think they can turn it into profit or make it more profitable than it already is. So I've got two questions that have been kind of popped up in my head as, as you've been talking. And one of them is, I want to make sure I understand. So to me, you know, I've always been told that recurring revenue, um, like for example, a lot of our uh, listeners have membership programs in their massage practice. They, you know, people pay a monthly membership for a reduced rate and um, the massage therapist will charge the credit card every month, uh, kind of like clockwork. And it's just this ongoing recurring revenue. And to me, that's always been an indication of, you know, revenue stability that can help make a business more attractive to a buyer. But you're saying that's actually less important than just raw profitability on the balance sheet or on the, on the P and L you're just saying, 
as long as the business is profitable, that is the most important thing when it comes to weighing those two factors. Absolutely. I mean, let's, let's take an example. If you have a, um, a large you know, client base and, and they are, you know, they're repeat customers, but what if your prices are too low? Um, and that's how they're buying those packages. And that's how you've started your business to get that, you know, repeat traffic. And, and, and so if your price is too low and then on bottom line, you're not showing profits, then what happens when somebody else comes in and buys it and then bumps the pricing up to, to make profit out of it, to pay back their loan for the company or themselves, then you start losing that customer base pretty quick. I think the average they say in the first year um, on the low end is 15% um, that you'll lose 15% of that business. And so that automatically can sometimes turn the tables on what somebody perceives as what they can turn into profit and, and revenue for that business. Um, but that's one, ex one example. Um, and let's say your overhead's too high. You're, you're paying your therapist too much. Uh, you know, you're running into that. Well, the first thing that's going to happen when somebody buys it is they might come in and, and change that work, you know, let, let one or two go change the environment. And, uh, and then now some, you know, the therapists you have on board are working way more hours than they were working. And, you know, that doesn't work in this business, you know, it's just complete burnout. And so, um, there is that environment basically is set up to, in some ways, go the wrong direction. And so that's why if you now start working on the profitability yourself and, and you're in control of that change in environment to make things um, good, um, and we're going to talk about that uh, probably here at the end, what does that look like from a financial standpoint, then um, – then now you're not going to lose your therapist. You're not going to lose clients because you did it from a strategic way over time. Okay. So the other question that popped up in my head was there's obviously a, a difference between, you mentioned, you know, spas sell all the time, but there's a difference between a spa and a solo massage practice or in between you've got a, a solo massage or not a solo, but a massage practice that has maybe a couple employees. You've got the owner and then a couple of uh, massage therapists as team members. So, is there a big difference in being able to sell between maybe a spa with, you know, 10 team members and a solo practitioner and in between? Yes. There's kind of two answers to that, Michael. It would be um, the fewer employees, the more risk there is. Um, a lot of times because it's a relationship built between the current owner and those employees, and that's why they're there. Um, and so that would be where the potential buyers would come in and really maybe even want to interview them um, and talk to them to make sure they wouldn't go anywhere. Um, because obviously if they buy it and then, you know, the therapist take off, then they have nothing. Um, so they, they might want to come in and write uh, specific contracts for those individuals at that point. Um, and that is done at times. Um, and then if you have a larger, larger practice and you, and you have, um, you know, one or two key people or managers, then they'll want to focus in on those managers mostly, um, later down the, down the road, as they get it closer to actually making the purchase, they will, they will ask you more detail about the individual, um, employees and, and therapists, but they're going to focus in on the managers and they want them intact so that, so that nothing else crumbles as, as they buy the business. And a lot of this seems um, to go back to making the owner replaceable, making yourself replaceable. It is, it is. And I think that if, if you're like me um, over the years when I was running my company, I, I thought, well, I can't do that. Like I, I can hardly find somebody who, who does what I do, who has the, the different, you know, versatile skill sets. And 
I, I would tell you there is a there is ways to do it, and you you can do it, and it could be as simple as instead of trying to find that one main person to do what you do, spreading out your duties amongst several people to do to do it, or maybe hiring out for, you know, the accounting and and what have you. There's a lot of ways to do that. I could talk to people individually if they if they had interest on that, but. But there is a lot of ways to, to stabilize your business to where it's not 100% reliable on you. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, you you had mentioned something about you know the different options. I know that one option I hear a lot of times when somebody they can't they can't uh, they need to they need to sell it or they want to move to another state and they think about all their options and one of them they often think about is well, can I just have my, my current managers or manager, can I, can I have them just run the business? And I'll still take a smaller profit out of it, and I'm going to move, move out of the state. Um, I, would, I would tell you, my experience is, is that I would consider selling it before I would do that. Um, or getting, getting out of it what I could, because typically that person doesn't have, again, your versatile skill sets. Um, and if they do, they don't have the financial interest in the company to ensure its success. And I I have talked to a lot of people about this and they're like, well, you can set it up to where they do. At the end of the day, they don't have the risk that you have in owning the business. So to move out of state and have somebody run the business and just consult from out of state, it is the most difficult um, way to continue running a business. It's, it's very hard to do it. Rarely the profits stay the same. I would say well over 90% of the time, those profits, they decline. So, uh, if you're in a position where you're not highly profitable or making a profit, it's going to get worse if you try to go that route. So I I always recommend going and selling it, put it on the market. Um, moving a practice is, or, you know, it's, it's nearly impossible since it's the customer base location and those elements that are there that keep it going. Um, you can obviously move your corporation location, um, but it doesn't move any part of that business. I, you're almost starting from scratch again. Mm-hmm. So I think I know the answer to this. It's kind of a softball question, but how important are good accounting records in, or how, how, how critical and important are good accounting records when it comes to selling your business? Um, when people ask questions about your financials, your answer, if your answers, if you have to go, you know, into your books and you have to spend days trying to figure it out, um, or if you have a manual process and you're not using like QuickBooks Online or or other other online software, um, then you know you're not going to sell the company. They're they're going to want to know, and the longer you take in giving them answers, the longer they're or the more they're going to think you're you're making the numbers up or that you're you're not 100% sure about the numbers you're providing them. So. Good input into a financial system like QuickBooks or you know other software uh, means good output, and you can quickly access that information. And they will ask a lot of information, uh, but primarily what they're going to look for is your P&L. They're going to look for your your cash flow, and they're going to look at your balance sheets. They're going to they're going to try to figure out what does this look like on a monthly basis. So and P&L is uh, just to kind of clarify in case anyone's going to be P&L is profit and loss statement. Right, right. For some, some listeners may have different levels of uh, familiarity with accounting terms. So, yeah, and then it's a standard report out of, out of QuickBooks as well. And um, so, I I recommend spending time making sure that that's done. I know there's a lot of firms out there that that's what they'll do. If if you don't feel like it's in good shape, they will for one time fee go in and um, make it what it's supposed to be. They'll work with you. They'll do the bulk of the work. They just ask you questions and then. 
and then they'll educate you on what needs to happen moving forward to keep those books, you know, straightened out. Um, but yeah, that's that's highly important. What they're looking for. So kind of to backtrack a minute from a potential buyer, um, the buyers over over ninety five percent of people who go to buy a business, a spa, uh, you know, that they are going to use a loan. They're not going to use their own money. They're going to use a loan. So they're so they're going to go to the bank, and the first thing that the banker are going to ask for is you know these statements, and they're going to want to see what your cash flow looks like. And so if you think about that, what their interest is is that it's a low risk situation. So so your location, your um, your assets, the you know your your tables, the, you know product, every everything that you have in in the spa. Um, that isn't as important to them as as the profit. They don't care. The bank doesn't care about your assets. They don't care about your interior design, your location. It, it's again, that's later. They may ask those things as as a final determiner of whether or not they're going to give a loan to a buyer. But they will um, they will look at the profit alone on the bottom line, and they will say, "Is this company, is this business making money?" And if it's not making money, they're not going to get a loan. And so that's that's why, you know, hearing this podcast today, I hope business owners really think about that and don't try to take too much out of your business or don't write too much off because the first thing they look at is those t uh, income tax returns. They want to see those first and foremost. If they don't have profit in the last two years, um, you probably will have to sell this on your own and will have to do a personal loan to do so. Um, so, so that's kind of like, we're looking in the mirror where you go, oh, oh, shoot, you know, I've been writing everything off and taking a loss every year. Well, that can hurt you when you go to sell your company. Makes sense. What about brand? So a lot of massage therapists are thinking, okay, I've got, you know, I've got a, a great massage practice. I'm, I'm making money. I'm, I'm profitable. And, you know, I've got a really strong brand. I've got a, a good name. I've got a good reputation in the community. I've got, you know, a well-designed logo, a well-designed website. Like my marketing is really polished. How important is a strong brand when it comes to selling and valuing your business as a massage therapist? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I kind of break this into two different people. There's the bank we just discussed if they're doing a loan and, and, all those things, the bank will ask, well, what did those things do for your profitability? The business owner, the one, or the one who's going to buy the company, they really are interested in this. And this is, this is what will make them say yes or no to moving forward. Um, they, they do look at the recurring revenue. They, they will look at that next after there's profits. They will look at, is there a website? Is that website ranked? Is it, is it up to par? I mean, or do I have to build a new website? Um, you know, what does their marketing plan look like? How do they get new customers? Um, you know, do people know the brand in, you know, in a couple of mile radius or, you know, do they, do they come across town to go to your spa because it's really well known? So they, they do look at, uh, you know, market share. They look at your brand and, and, you know, what have you done to get your name out there? So all those things are asked. They are important. And I don't want to tell you that it's only profit and that's it, but, but profit first. And then, all these other indicators come into play as soon as they get past the profit side of it. And that's the companies that decide to buy or not buy. And so, so I would tell you that I could sell spas all day long if they show profit and 
and they had some of these things queued up, I, I could sell a spa, um, you know, every month. It, it's not, an, it's not an issue. It's mostly about, about, are you running a good business? And this is really why I started doing the side work is because the same things it takes to grow a healthy business are the same things it takes to sell a healthy business. And so things like, you know, do you have written processes in your company? You know, how to do things, uh, even if it's a checklist on, on closing up, you know, at night or opening up and, you know, how you conduct your business, um, reoccurring, uh, you know, revenue and, and repeat clientele, you know, all the things that make a company a great company are the things you should be doing every day in a business. And then when it's time to sell, it's, it's, you don't have any work to do. It's done. And so it's easier said than done. I, I being a business owner, I know that like that's I always hear, heard people say stuff like yeah, that. It's a ton of work. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's a lot of talk. Great. Well, you should try being a business owner, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but what I found it is, it's exactly true. And, and two years before I sold my company, you know, uh, that's, that's what we set out to do. We changed the website. We changed the name of the agency. Even we set it up with great curb appeal. We started straightening it, straightening out the financials. We boosted the recurring revenue and we had a plan to do it. And, and that's the part that I'm helping people focus on now is can we get that plan together if we're not ready to sell now, or if they just want to grow their company in a, in a healthier way. Now, you've been talking a lot in terms of spa, which I want to make sure I kind of reiterate. So when you say spa, most of our listeners are either solo massage practitioners or they have maybe a couple team members, either contractors or employees. And so when you say spa, are you, is it fair to say that the same principles apply to the massage practice owner who has maybe two or three employees as well? Absolutely. I mean, and this is what I found to be true is that it's easier to sell sometimes, you know, a, a three-person uh, massage uh, practice than it is a, a 15, 20-person full-blown massage or, you know, full-blown spa. Spa, yeah. spa because guess what? The three-person um, massage therapist, they have more profit in it and showing more profit on their tax returns hmm. than the larger, than the larger um, spa. So it, really is about the profit. I mean, are you running a good, clean business? And if you are, then, then, you know, you can sell it. I mean, I can sell that three person, you know, massage practice, you know, and get more money for it than sometimes the 15 to 20, you know, person spa. And, and people would say, well, what about my location? What about, you know, what about the assets, all the equipment that I've got at the end of the day, I've seen people have to liquidate that equipment, sell it on Craigslist and not be able to sell their company because because of what I just said, mm -hmm. and so it's a very sad situation. I do see it all the time, um, and I love to help people do the opposite and really get set up to yeah. to sell at a, at a higher dollar. Or you just don't know. I think a lot of people think about this as a planned basis, but some people get sick, um, unfortunately, and and um, you know they they get to a place where all of a sudden they can or they get get in an accident and they can't run their run their business and all the hard work and everything they've done um you know they can't reap the benefits from i would say set set yourself up to you know to be able to withstand some of these things by by just taking a few steps now and i'd be happy to help anybody you know it, it doesn't cost anything to, to to have an initial call with me to, to take a few steps to, to go the right direction um and 
and try to really uh, take kind of an insurance policy out on yourself, you know, and and start start doing these things that you need to do. Uh, it's easier than you think. Yeah. So I've been uh, steamrolling the conversation for a while here, so I should probably stop and ask Alyssa if you uh, have any questions as well. Yeah. So let me jump in and be super wet blankety. <laughs> um, so since that's how Michael has decided to label me for this episode. Anyway, so here's my beef. And, you know, like Michael said, and like you have, you've certainly clarified, like a spa is very, you know, a large facility is very different from a small business with just a couple of employees, which is also dramatically different from just a single person business owner. And I'm totally going to like use myself as an example here. I am one massage therapist. I treat an average of 60 some 60 ish clients a month, but massage is as much an art as it is a science. It is, and it is not a tangible product or service. Like you're not coming in and buying something that you take home, nor is it the kind of service where like, uh, like house cleaning or, or where, you know, the, the cleaner comes into your home and cleans and leaves and you can see the tangible results of their service. For many of us, massage is, is much different from that. And, you know, there's always tangible, there's usually tan some kind of objective, tangible result. A client feels better. They have less pain. They are, and, you know, in the case of my specialty, they have decreased anxiety, improved sleep, uh, better behaviors in children, like whatever. But the work that I do is so incredibly individual and it is based on how a client feels. Like my profit is directly related to how a client feels after I provide that service. And a huge portion of that is not at all about the hands-on work. It is about the therapeutic relationship that I have developed with any particular client. So it's really hard for me to fathom even if my business is beautifully branded and smoothly run and my expenses are real clean and I've got a real consistent schedule and my profit is very regular, I still have a very small client base. You know, if I'm seeing between 60 and 70 clients a month, that takes about a base of 200, 250 clients based on people who might come weekly, every other week, monthly, or just people who come a couple of times a year. It takes about 200 clients, a base of 200 clients to make a business, uh, a massage practice that has 60 to 80 massages being performed every month. So I did the math based on 80 because that's, if you're doing 20 massages a week, that's definitely full time. Um, that would gross uh, at an average rate of like a hundred bucks an hour, which is high for some areas of the country and low for others. You're grossing $96,000 a year. And if you're smooth with your expenses, if you're, you're good with your deductions, you're going to maybe bring in about $50,000 a year net. You're going to take that home. But that $50,000 is based on a really esoteric concept of a therapeutic relationship. And my clients who have been seeing me for the tenure of my career, 5, 10, almost 15 years, are not going to just go see another therapist. And even if I can convince them to just go see another therapist once, it's, there is no other therapist on the planet who does the work that I do. Because the work we do is so subjective and individual, 
I have a really hard time fathoming how I sell that. And, and even if I could, even if say I had like a super structured practice that specialized in, let's say TMJ, jaw disorder, and people came to see me to fix their jaw pain. And I found another therapist who's really good at helping clients fix their jaw pain. Massage therapists in general, like many, many of us come to this career because of the flexibility, because the real fairly low barrier to entry, like you don't need thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment. Like you need a table and some lotion and some sheets. It's got a real low overhead, especially at startup in comparison to a lot of other businesses. I cannot fathom, even if I had a really solid business with even with a tan more tangible version of massage as a service like a specific pain relief for pathology who the heck would buy it like i there's i don't see a pool of other massage therapists waiting to pay me you know whatever whatever amount someone would pay for a business that nets about 50k a year so i'd love to hear like what i'm missing what don't i know that would make something like this possible. Okay, that's the end of my example. <laughs> no, I love your question. It's it's great. I love it. Well, it, because I can relate to it. I you know, um I I've, I've been in all kinds of situations where I had that person and a lot of times, you know, I've had sitting at a desk a lot of my career, I've I've had bad back problems and you know, I've got a chiropractor that I, you know, go to that you know, he's awesome. Nobody's going to ever replace him and then he retires. You know, or, you know, you know, he, he leaves and moves or something. And, you know, the truth is I, I, I do find eventually, not always easily, I do find, you know, somebody else to go to. But I, I think it's important in this situation to, if you're going to sell it to somebody, they would have a longer um, transition term. So usually the way you arrange a deal is you have transition terms. And so it's a longer transition term. It could be as much as six months or a year. And in that transition, it just depends on your scenario. If you can transition out of it and you're like, it's a health issue and you need to, and you could do that slowly, then that's one in which they can start to pay you as they make money versus a, here's a lump sum of money. And the reason why I'm saying that is, is let's say that they are um, either, you know, relatively new or, or they want to take it over, but they want to do it in a slow, slow case to take care of existing patients that they have. And so that kind of allows that to happen. So it's very situational. Like if it's something that I've got to move right now, let's say a husband gets a job out of town or a significant other, and, and I've got to move today. Those scenarios are tough because you don't have that transition time. Now, I hear you. You're the only one that does, does the exact thing you do because it's who you are. It's not that you're, you're saying you're putting yourself ahead of others. It's just saying that my patients love me and I've seen this. And so it's a harder thing to find that buyer that is closest to you, but know that the other option is shut the doors down and make nothing. So do you want to just, you know, do you shut the doors down, take, take the table, take, take the, you know, lotions and, and towels and go, or, or do I want to try to find somebody who wants to start a practice or wants to wants to expand their practice to a couple locations and I find the right person that's closest 
knowing we're going, I'm going to lose patients, I'm going to lose them, a certain percentage of them or half of them or more. But it's better than starting from scratch. And that, that not starting from scratch is worth something. And I think maybe if that was, uh, I don't know if that's something that Michael said in his conversation with you, but um, it's always worth something. And I always, I always prefer taking something away other than owing or making nothing. And so that's debatable. You know, if it gets down to a low enough uh, amount, you have to determine, is it even worth it, my time? Or should I just close close the doors and go? And so those are the types of questions that come into play and in the things that I've seen at, at this level. Um, does that make and sense? I, I absolutely, it totally does. And I absolutely agree with you that something is better than nothing. And and I do, I do think a lot of therapists close their business um, without exploring the options of what they could get for it, even if it's an arrangement for referrals or... Um, I think, it, and, and, and I, I want to see more, especially independent massage therapists, really build a structured practice that they can show somebody. Because I think, I think many, many therapists, you know, I can walk into someone's office and say, oh, so how do you regularly communicate with clients? And they, they don't. They don't have email marketing set up. They don't have a, a bulk text messaging system. They don't have a the number of therapists who don't even have a current master list of clients and client contact information is, is startling. And I think that, um, I think that if nothing else, if this conversation and this episode um, shakes a few indie therapists, at least to get some more structure to their business, then it's totally a win. So thank you for answering my pointed wet blanket question. Yeah, I, I think a lot of, um, you know, new therapists, uh, they, they come out and, you know, they're starting from scratch and they have to build it. There's something, there's a value there to be able to, to start, you know, to take over um, and to start at your location, even if you shut down um, 100% and they come into the same location, they're going to reap the benefits from that because traffic will come by and they'll see it and they'll walk in and, and still, you know, get massages. I mean, so there, there's a lot of, lot of benefit and there's a lot of value uh, in, in going ahead and trying to find an arrangement where you can sell it to somebody. There, there is always a buyer out there. I will tell you that there always is. And you think who would, the, the buyers are everywhere. A lot of times they're working for other companies or other, other practices. And they, they say to themselves, why am I working here? I could be doing this on my own. And, and be my own boss. And I, I think there's way more of those than people realize. Interesting. I wish we had two more hours because this is an amazing topic and I'm learning a ton. Unfortunately, we have a few minutes left. And so I do want to make sure we get this topic covered in just a few minutes, hopefully. And that's uh, client consent. We have had a debate about this. Uh, Alyssa and I did, and some of our community members had a debate about this. And I don't know that we had necessarily a a big epiphany or anything, but there's this issue of client consent. So let's say you do successfully sell your practice and you transition over to a new owner. What do you do about those clients? I know that medical practices sell all the time and this happens in other um, similar types of, of businesses, but do you simply turn over the database to the new owner and they market to those clients? Is there consent that has to be taken care of legally? Um, how does that work? So I assume you're talking about like 
the database and doing like email marketing? Um, yeah, and- client records, um, either uh, full client records or limited client records that the new owner would use to market and serve those those clients from the existing business. And we're also yeah. talking here about protected health information. So um, names, dates of birth, uh, records of client health information. Right. So in most cases, when, when you have um, when you have that type of information um, available, you usually have an opt-in process when you first buy it. So they know and they're aware of who, who now is, you know, has access to that information, but you do need some type of check um, checks and balances here to make sure that they have opt-in on that. And so a lot of times that can be when they first come in, they're filling out uh, paperwork um, that says that they understand that, that it's a new ownership. Um, and you're giving them permission to access the records, et cetera. Um, and so that's that's just uh, very typical. It's a legal uh, the legal side of it. You have to you have to get permission. Um, if you take it over and start uh, and start working with people's uh, information, and they were not aware of the sale of the company, you are opening up yourself to a lawsuit. Um, and unfortunately, it's just uh, one of those things that has to be done. Now, you can do that. In several ways, you could do it through email, um, but typically I see it handled as, you know, they come in, uh, here's a notice I need you to sign before we do anything else and before we access your records, here you go. And the truth is you already have the records and access to the records, but before you actually go in and, and physically see them and review them, you typically want to get a sign off from that patient. So that's that's pretty normal. Um, and I don't know, Michael, if that's what you're asking about, um, but yeah, there was just a debate about, um, you know, protected client information, HIPAA, um, you know, medical records, things like that. So um, just curious kind of what your, what your take on that was. And it sounds like yeah. as long as you get consent, then that usually works itself out. It's different from a lot of companies where you're buying purchasing information that's unregulated um, or you're buying just general contact information. That that's, that's not, not a problem. I mean, um, if somebody, you know, buys, you know, an ad agency and they get a client list and contact information. There is no, there is nothing that they can't have access to access to hundred percent at that point. But yeah, because, because of the uh, HIPAA compliance and the protection of your information, health information, you've, you've got to do that. It, it's a must. And we, we run into that in, in a lot of different areas, you know, dental, um, there's all kinds of areas that you have to get that uh, sign off on. So it sounds like it's okay if you, let's say you purchase a massage practice, you take over, today's the day you take over, you can, it's okay and perfectly legitimate to say, hey, take the first names, last names, and email addresses and send an email out saying, you know, hey, come, you know, come in to meet the new owners, come in for us, whatever. It's perfectly okay to use that information because it's just basic contact information. It's the personal health information that you have to give consent for. Is that, is that correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, and a lot, and a lot of times it's still it's still on paper. I mean, a lot of times you'd be surprised how many people still have the the you know the files there in the office. Oh yeah, and we have a lot and, of a lot of stuff on paper. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 all there. I mean, there's nothing to hide. It's there. It's how you use that information and what you do with it once you have it. And you know, do you just open up, start going through it, and getting all that information or not? And and that's really that's really risky. Uh, I would never do it. I would actually. Uh, I would actually seek seek that information or the approval from the whole client base uh, as quickly as possible to continue doing business as as it had been done. Um, Great. So Thank you for clarifying that. Goes, that. 
yeah, that does go back into the drop off. You know, you will have a certain amount of people who, oh, it's not the same ownership. No, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, there is a, a percentage of people that, that won't and they won't continue. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that the banks consider if you go to get a loan. They know, depending on what type of business, they already know what percentage is going to drop off in the first year. It's an average AUs based on how many, many different um, you know, companies that they help get loans for in that specific industry. They have a lot of great data. And if you are considering um, buying you know, um, a spa or you know, a therapeutic business of any sort, go ask them. Go to your bank and find out what are the things I need to consider um, you know, what are the things we look at and start building that relationship with the bank and, and you'll find real quickly the things that you're going to run up against. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, Alyssa, what else is on your mind? I think you guys pretty much covered it. This has been incredible. It's a lot of info. Yeah. Really good stuff. So, uh, even if it's only um, interesting to maybe you know two of our listeners, I, I've been really <laughs> interested and I thought it's been really good information. So for those who may be on this path, I think it's been incredible. So, so Ryan, um, let's go ahead and make sure that we get your contact information available to our listeners. So first, I want to give you two things to wrap up with. One is anything else you would add that you'd like to say to our listeners uh, that maybe we haven't covered or you'd like to clarify. And then following that, um, let's tell people where they can contact you in case they have questions about selling a business. Sure, sure. Now, I, I think we've we've covered the big bullet points. Uh, I did create an ebook that helps uh, that helps small business owners um, with the things that are important to do in your company before you sell sell or to things things to consider, um, you know, ahead of time. So uh, hopefully we can put that link in the show notes mm-hmm. and people can go there and download that information. Um, and if they want to contact me, um, they can contact me through the website or they can email me direct at Ryan at petersonacquisitions.com. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Ryan. This has been phenomenal. So I really appreciate all the, the deep uh, conversation and information about this topic. So uh, it's been a real pleasure. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Melissa didn't, didn't uh, fight too much over this topic. So (laughs) (laughs) it's been fun. It's been fun. So, uh, and uh, and thanks everyone for joining us today. We uh, appreciate you being here. A reminder that our website is massagebusinessblueprint.com. Check us out there. A ton of information there, as well as our exciting uh, premium member community, which has a ton of value in there, including free stock photography, uh, the best Facebook group for massage therapists on Facebook, a ton of premium content as well. Uh, office hours, just lots of good stuff there. So check that out and uh, give us a review on iTunes. If you enjoy what you've been hearing, Uh, we love reviews. We read those and enjoy them all the time. So thank you for that. And again, thanks for joining us today. We will see you next time.